Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I'm done, guys, y'all. Thank you for the team. God bless you. Great job today, guys. Give a round of applause for the team. When the pastor says give it a round of applause for the team, he expects a little audience participation. What happened? We just died all of a sudden. Everybody's shouting for Pastor Robin, but I get up here and no one's shouting no more. Y'all okay? I don't believe you. Stand your feet one more time. Stand your feet one more time. Those watching us online, stand your feet. Come on. And you're, I, I can see you. Stand your feet. Father, we thank you one more time for the word that's about to be received in this house. We thank you, Lord God, for unction of the Holy Ghost, prophetic anointing to flow, Lord God, fireworks and everything else in the spirit. In Jesus' precious name, everybody said amen. Now give the Lord a shout like you believe it. Come on. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. As I was saying a moment ago, the Bible says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I want to make this statement. You are what you think you are, and you can have what you think you can have. Say it one more time. You are what you think you are, and you can have what you think you can have. If you think you will not succeed, you'll not succeed. If you think you'll not overcome, you're not going to overcome. If you think that you're not going to be happy, chances are you won't be happy in life. If you think you can't get free, you will not be free. Your life moves in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. That's why you can't play the blame game and say, well, you know, I'm this way because my dad was this way or my mother was this way or it's my upbringing or it's where I happen to grow up in my neighborhood. That's the reason why I am the way that I am. That's not true because the Bible says as a man thinks, so is he. So you move in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. And whatever you let your mind wander to and begin to dwell on and meditate on, that's what you become in life. Listen, all the praying over you in the world will not negate your responsibility to renew your mind to God's word. I would like to say that I could lay hands on people and things just would happen for them. And there are some things more that happens. But I'm here to tell you, and this might, I'm just going to say this, and this might not sit too well with everybody maybe here or even watching us right now. But let me say this. There are some things you just can't pray away. In other words, I personally believe that you must walk while you're praying at the same time. I'm not saying don't pray. But I believe that you must walk through the process because it's in the process that clarity begins to come. There's a lesson to be learned in the process. And so a lot of times what we're trying to do is pray the process away because why? It's painful. It's uncomfortable. We don't like the process. We just want to get the promise and then they get the promotion. But we're not so often you know, wanting to be a part of the process. I was thinking about this this week and how prayer came to me in the spirit. And I said, Lord, you gotta, you got to qualify that to me. It came to me with the spirit that you can't pray everything away. And I remembered that the Lord was uh, speaking to me about, about Jesus, and he's about to go to the cross. And he asked his disciples to come with him to pray in the garden. And there he said, you know, he said, I'm going to pray here, uh, and I'm going to go and come back. And so he goes and prays alone. And his prayer is this, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup 
pass from me. How many knows Jesus wasn't excited about going to the cross? He was excited about the outcome. But in his humanity, very difficult to go through the process of all that pain and all that rejection and even humiliation from people that he loved. You know, rejection and humiliation. And so he prays, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And he says these words, nevertheless. Everybody say, nevertheless. See, when you're praying, you got to be willing to hear something you may not want to hear. Nevertheless, not my will. Because a lot of times we pray, we're praying our will. Not my will, but yours be done. I want an usher to turn, uh, the, let's turn some air conditioning on a little bit. Got people fanning, and I'm a little hot myself. I know I look good. I didn't mean that. I just meant I'm, I'm actually physically warm. I'm getting warm. Thanks, guys. Amen and amen. <laughs> But my point is, is that a lot of times we're praying the will of Jeff, the will of self, and not the will of God. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And an angel came and strengthened Jesus. So his prayer was, God, your will, even though I don't want this to happen. I don't like the process. I'm not comfortable with what's about to happen. But, Lord, not my will, yours be done. And God did strengthen him so he was able to go through the process that you and I can now be saved. Somebody say, praise God for that. My point is, is that many times you will walk through things that you don't like. I remember myself and my wife and I going through a process uh, that was very difficult for us. And in that process, it was I was praying, God, basically my prayer was, Lord, let this end. I don't like this. Anybody ever pray a prayer like that? I don't like this. I want this over with, and I want it over now. And I feel I got authority. I got power. I can command this thing to happen. And it felt like every time I prayed, it got worse. I'm the only preacher here, the only person here that's ever had that happen. I, it felt like everything got more and more turned upside down. I did not have a revelation of the process. I did not want a revelation of the process. I wanted God to stop the storm. I wanted it to be over. I wanted it to be done with. And yet I had to go through years, my wife and I, years through the process. Even though it was painful, what was the promise? The promise was when we got to the other side, there would be a promotion. With God, God always gives you a promise within the process to give you the promotion. And I'm here to tell you, what did it do? It brought great clarity to us. It brought clarity to Jesus because the Bible says he saw beyond the cross. With us, we were able to see beyond where we we're at into our future. The process strips the pride and prepares you for the promise. And that's what somebody needs to hear in this room and those watching me today. You might be in the middle of a storm, but let me tell you something. It's all going to end in the name of Jesus, and at the end of the day, you're going to end up in the land of Genesaret, which is the land of miracles. How many remember about the storm of Christ? On the, on the Sea of Galilee, they were going one direction, but the storm caused them to go another direction. And that was where Jesus had the most miracles he had ever seen in his ministry. Preaching pretty good now. The prodigal son is another one that we see in scriptures. A great, I, I talked a little bit about it last week. But, the, the, but, but he had to go through his own journey. He said, Father, give me my inheritance. It's mine. And, 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 the, and the father gives him the inheritance, and, and he goes and he spends it in a riotous living, the Bible talks about. And as he, as he does that, he loses all his money because there was a famine in the land. You know, his friends weren't there to help him. You know, he couldn't sleep from couch to couch. He had nowhere to lay his head. 
when all the money was gone, it was done, end up working for a farmer, feeding the pigs. And the Bible says, and then he came to himself. What does that mean? That phrase means he had an epiphany. He had a revelation. It means he had a new thought. Everything begins here. And his thought was this, my God, my dad's servants are treated better than I'm being treated. I mean, they literally live high on the hog, no pun intended. And now here I am in a pig's pen. And now he said, but my father takes care of them. I will go back to my father. I'll ask him to forgive me because I was wrong. And at least I know my dad's good enough to make me one like his hired servants. And my God, that would be living ten times better than I'm living right now. So he goes and he, he, he repents to his father. His father kisses him, puts his ring on him, his robe on him, his shoes on him, and then has a party for him. This my son was dead and now is alive. My son that was lost is now found. And everything I have belongs to you. I don't deserve it. I know you don't. But that's just how good your dad is. Is that not a picture of our heavenly father? But my point to you is this. He couldn't get that back until he had what? He had to come to himself. He had to have a new thought. He had to renew his mindset. Let me make this statement. Redirected thinking produces a redirected life. You want your life to change, you got to get your thoughts in the right direction. Church, nothing comes into the earth without imagination. Everything starts with an image. Everything starts. So what is the image you have? Because imagination is the creative power of God that he placed on the inside of you. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? I mean this, that the creative power of God is to change everything in your life. And it all starts with your imagination. As a man thinks, imagines in his heart, that is who he is. So where is your image tonight, today? Where is your image of what God has promised you? Where is the image of God? You were blessed by God in the very beginning to be like him. And he said he, was cre- he created you to be in his likeness and in his image. He gave you the power to imagine. And that power was to procreate. Not recreate. At some point, y'all didn't hear me. At some point, you got to get up and make something happen. And as soon as he had new thought, the prodigal son, he got up, took his feet, started walking and plotting and thinking about returning back to his father. As he's thinking, he's praying. As he's praying and thinking and meditating, he's going to his body now. Y'all didn't hear that. He's working towards what he believes. So you're here to procreate, not recreate. What I mean by procreation is not in the sense of making babies. I mean to procreate, to be for creation. You're for creation. And imagination is the creative power of God. You don't like where you're at? You can imagine it differently. I think I can do this. I think I can do that. I think this can change. But unfortunately, we got a bunch of people in the church that think that God's supposed to change everything in their life. God will change things in your life, but it starts with your thought life. In other words, God makes you responsible to make change happen in your life. Well, Lord, I need you to give me some more money. Meanwhile, you don't want a job. God, I I just want you to fix that husband of mine. Yet you gossip and complain about that man to anybody who will listen to you. Well, Father, I'm going to need you just to go ahead and strike my neighbor dead. (laughs) <laughs> Yet Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, praise God. Somebody shout, it's up to me. Say, it's up to me. If you don't like the way you smell, take a shower. 
You smell funky. Well, I've been praying to ask God to get rid of that funk. No. No. Get in the shower. I ain't got no shower. We got a big lake called Lake Michigan. I will personally buy you a bar of soap, jump in, and rub a tub sub, whatever you're going to do. Praise God. Am I right? You got to take care of that funk. Amen? Uh, but, you know, I just don't know. I just, you know, I just, want, I just want my car to be clean. I've been praying to God. God, I need you to clean my car. God ain't going to come down. What are you supposed to do, clean your car for you? You pick that stuff up out of the back seat. You wash them windows. You take care of your car. God made you responsible. By the way, some of y'all want a house. I'm going to believe in God for you. But the first one to be believing God for is take care of the one you got now. All righty then. He made you responsible. So the enemy has to take the battle. He starts the battle in your thought life because he understands the principle. Whatever man thinks he is, so is he. The battlefield is in your mind. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So they're not carnal. Weapons that God gives us are not carnal, which means they're not fleshy. They're not in the natural sense. But they're powerful, so mighty that they pull down strongholds. Then he begins to tell you what a stronghold is. Casting down arguments. That word arguments means what? Vain reasonings and imagination. Vain imaginations, vain reasonings. He said, that's the stronghold. Got to cast it down. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He's talking about the knowledge of God, the knowing of God, every high thing. Y'all follow me so far? The highest thing in your body is your mind, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You say, well, I can't control my thoughts. That's a lie. You may not be able to control what goes in. That, you might not be able to control that. Some of you can, by the way, but not all of it. But you can control the thoughts that come in so they don't take root and begin to build a stronghold in your life. But the good news is if it does bring a, bring a stronghold up in your life, you can cast it down. God's given you a weapon that's important and powerful and mighty to pull it down. Church, let me just say this. You can't fight the devil in the carnal. You can't fight the devil in the flesh. How many like to sometimes just give him a karate chop across the face or something, you know, punch him out? But you can't do that. <laughs> Years ago, I was teaching about spiritual warfare, you know, and how we have authority over the devil. Call it the authority of the believer. This is years ago. And um, he came to me all excited and said, Pastor, I got to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, man, I took authority over the devil this week. I said, you did? He said, man, he was just harassing me and my family, and I just decided I'm going to take authority over the devil. I said, that's awesome. He said, yep, I sure was. He said, I cussed him out from one end to the other. He said, he said I, told, I, I told him, I said, devil, you SOB. And he didn't see any SOB. He said, SOB. He said, get the blank out of my house. I said, well, that's one way of doing it. Hallelujah. It may not be the effective way, but he, he was getting a good start. He's recognizing he had some authority over the devil. But how many knows that's his words? And his words have no power. But when you use the word of God, y'all didn't hear me. I said when you use the word of God, 
There's power. There's authority. You gotta get. You gotta get the. You gotta get the 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 battle back in the spirit if you're gonna get the victory. Because the Bible says, "Sow to the spirit, and you'll reap life. Sow to the flesh, you reap corruption." So if you deal with the devil in the flesh or try to fight him on his battleground, that's how I'll say it, in the flesh, you'll lose corruption, destruction. But if you get it in the spirit where you have power, then life comes as a result. Why? Because thoughts create strongholds that will hold you captive. Strongholds like, I'm just a failure. Quit saying that stuff. I'm, I'm just no good. Or I'm not good enough. Or I'm broke as a joke. Or I'm probably never going to get over what I've been going through. That's the kind of stuff you know now in your heart. Do an inventory of your thoughts. You know now that you've got a stronghold that must come down. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you think you're a failure, you're going to be a failure. If you think you're broke, you're going to stay broke. If you think you'll never overcome that hurt and pain pain you walk through, you'll never get over it. These thoughts create invisible prisons that hold you captive. And every time you try to escape the prison, uh, Satan, the warden, he begins to make sure you'll never come out. And he begins to throw an image up. You ever notice that? You're doing pretty good. Maybe praise and worship today. Man, you've been right with God and doing the right thing. Come in here. Start worshiping the Lord. And bang, an image comes of something you didn't do right. Something that you failed God in. And all of a sudden, that image comes up in your mind. What does that make you do? Makes your hands go from here to, yeah, I guess I, I need to repent a little bit more. I'm here to tell you, you don't got to repent anymore of that. If you ask God to forgive you, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The devil did that to do what? To keep you captive in a place of condemnation, to make you feel guilt and shame that you're never worthy even to worship the most high God. I say no to the devil and say my hands will praise him, my mouth will praise him, my dance will praise him. Because I'm what? I'm, I'm bringing the word of God. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And it's doing what? Destroying the stronghold that have allowed the devil to create in my own mind. So we have to take the image of that and replace it with another image. With your children, let me throw this in here. With your children that maybe not serving God right now, you need to not see them not serving God. You need to see them saved. It's worshiping God, having their Bible app open, praise God, or the Bible's open, coming to the house of God, asking you questions, sitting down and having, having uh, dinner and able to fellowship about the Lord. See your children already saved. And then what happens? Your prayer life begins to explode. Now you go, oh, your, your mind begins to tell you this is what the truth is, and your heart believes it, and now your faith soars and says, he's going to be born again. She's going to be saved. So how do we escape this prison stronghold that we put ourselves into? Again, by putting the battle back in the realm of the spirit. you got to change the arena you've been in. Now, church, I know, I, I, when I, you know, 
I got some good compliments lately. My wife had a great message on, on Thursday, and, and, uh, and, and a lot of preachers have been going for us since we've been doing the quarantine. And even today, Robbie said, man, it's just like you've been on fire. I mean, been so good. I said, praise God. I felt there's going to be a kickback today. You know how you can just feel it. And I walked in this place, and even though it's not coming from you, I can feel it in the atmosphere. Why? Because we're touching on something here that, look, it's one thing just to come in church and say, whoa, yeah, hallelujah. And then, hey, what you talking about? It was just good. All I know is it was just good. But when you walk away and actually have some insight how to change your life, the devil will try to do everything he can to stop it. So I'm not fighting you, but we are in a battle this morning. And those watches, he knows those are watches are going to be totally set free. Church, your boss is not your problem. Your wife is not your problem. Your in-laws are not your problem. Your problem is that you've created a stronghold in your mind and you think that those things are your problems and your issues. Got to get the battle back from fighting in-laws and fighting uh, parents and and fighting our children and our boss and, and fighting our government and president and get it back in the spirit where it belongs, where you have power and you have authority. John 6, 33, Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh Prophets, nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak to you are spirit. Keep that in your heart right now. And they are life, the words. Jesus understood the process. Jesus understood it when he was baptized of John in the River Jordan. And the Bible says when he came up, the heavens were rent and, and God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and the Spirit of God descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And everybody saw it, and everybody heard it. And Jesus was, Jesus was at that, that moment ordained for the ministry. And he was also affirmed and confirmed before, before the people by his own Father from heaven. And now he does what? You'd think he'd go right into Jerusalem and start preaching his ministry. You'd think he'd start the evangelistic, Jesus Christ evangelistic society or something. He did not do that. The Bible says, and the spirit of God drove him into the wilderness to be tested or tempted by the devil. Again, we love the promise. We love the affirmation. We love the fanfare of the people. Look, they now know I'm a man of God or a woman of God or my people, my family know, now can see that I'm, a, I'm real. That's all good and fine, but we don't like the process. I got to go into the wilderness now. Yes, you got to go through the wilderness. But you will get through it. And it's the process. And it's there. He's there for 40 days, 40 days. He does not eat. He does not drink. But the devil comes from three times. And every time the devil comes, he doesn't fight the devil. He doesn't smack the devil. He doesn't, he doesn't run the devil off with a shoe. He doesn't do any of that. What does he do? He says, it is written. The word of God, devil, says this. Now eat that. The word of God says that. Now take care of that. The word of God says this. Now get Get out of here. And the Bible says he had to flee from him until an opportune time. The devil don't give up, but he will give you a space for time. Why? Because revelation becomes so strong that it does what? It tears down every other stronghold and breaks the power of the devil. Some of you all, you all been in a battle for a, this, this period of your life. You want to get through it? Quit talking what you want to say. Quit talking your will be done and God's will be done. What is God's world? God's will is God's word. What is thus says the Lord. And when you speak the word, it's spirit. And you brought, now what? You brought the battle from the flesh to the spirit. 
I'm no longer in the flesh where the devil can beat my brains out. Now I, because of the word of God, I brought it back in the spirit. And the Bible says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Somebody shout, yeah. Hallelujah. That's how you defeat the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. In the Lord. Not your flesh. Not your intellect. But in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery deceptions of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. If you right now are having problem with people, the people are not your problem. When will you learn? You're making it 15 times worse than it has to be. Get it in the spirit. Get it in the spirit. Buck up, buckaroo. I always want to say quit being a Karen, but I don't know if that's politically correct or not. I can't. No one even knows what it means. Good. Quit being a Karen, praise God. Unless your name is Karen, and for that I apologize. But anyways, <laughs> quit being so sensitive. That's your problem. You, may, you want everybody to walk on eggshells around you. We live in the real world. The devil's trying to kill you. Not the people of God. The people of God love you. They may not always agree with you. You may not always agree with them. But they're not your problem. Principalities, powers, rulers, agitators. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the shield of faith, with, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Watch the next part. Praying always. Say it together. Praying always. So this whole thing, spiritual, this armor I'm talking about, it's not natural armor. It's spiritual armor. When we pray, we're putting on the helmet of salvation. We pray the word of God, we're wielding the sword of the spirit, and so on. It's about getting in the spirit with all what? Prayer. We pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Well, when do we not pray in the spirit? When we start praying our own agenda. When we start praying our own will. When we want what we want. Or we feel we've been done wrong. Get them, Lord. Get them. You're on the verge of spiritual witchcraft when you start praying that kind of stuff. Oh, no, 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 you pray, oh, God, what do I need to learn from the situation? How can I grow from this, what I'm going through right now? Lord, I bless them. By, they're, hey, if they're my enemies, the Bible says to bless them. I'm talking to somebody today. And being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You cannot win the battle without being in the spirit. And what is spirit? It's his word. It's his word. When I speak the word, I'm in the spirit. I'm just talking to somebody this morning 
We're talking about, you know, when the devil begins to attack your life, it's usually because your faith level is low. And the one way you know your faith level is low is when your joy and peace is no longer around. When you start feeling joy and peace slip, it's letting you know your faith is low. And the reason why your faith is low is because your word level is low. I'll pray, I'm going to pray to get my peace back. No, no, no. You don't pray to get your peace back. What's what you do? Get in the word of God. Speak and declare the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now what's happening? I'm building my faith. And as I build my faith, my joy returns. My peace returns to me. Isn't that good? The word has transformative power. And it will transform everything about you. It transforms your belief system entirely. Listen, whatever deficiency is in your life, find the word on it. Find the word. You got a whole Bible. A whole Bible. You, read, you got a new, you got an Old Testament. You got a New Testament. You got 66 volumes of inspired by God information. I don't know what I'm going to do. You lie, you fry. What do you mean you don't know what to do? You don't want to walk through the process. You are late. I'm not going to say that. Amen. Those rest of you get the interpretation. Hallelujah. But when you start studying to show yourself approved, you become a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Right? And the word of God comes alive to you, and now you got the word on the matter. So whatever your deficiency is life, in life is, find the word of God on that deficiency and start meditating it and speaking it. And you will find that your thinking will begin to shift in the right direction. You heard me say this before, I'll say it again. Meditation is the pathway to manifestation. Meditation is the pathway to manifestation. I don't care if it's meditation and Eastern religion. You're going to get that. That's going to be your pathway. Not a good one. Not the right one, but it will be. If it's meditation on bad, evil things, that's going to become your pathway of manifestation. Not a good one. Not the right one. But it's what's going to happen. It's a principle. Whatever you meditate on becomes manifested in your life. Proverbs 18.20 says this. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. By the words that we speak. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So whatever I meditate on is what I begin to think. It gets in my heart. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth begins to make way for the manifestation. Very powerful because meditation actually is to think by muttering. It's not just thinking. Meditation means to think by way of speaking it. Not loudly, but you're kind of going to the situation if I just do this, you're thinking it out loud. You're speaking and declaring while you're meditating. You're in, you're in a place of meditation. You're so much in meditation, you forgot about the surroundings around you. Has that ever happened to anybody? You're driving or something like that, I mean, you're just talking. Just going to town. You're just going to town, right? And you notice that the person next to you, the stoplight is just staring at you like this. And you, and you pretend like, oh, I got some money. Yeah, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all know, I'll do that sometimes because it is embarrassing. Hallelujah. <laughs> but it starts with meditation. You can't say, well, I can't believe this has happened in my life. Meditation is the pathway, think by muttering, is a pathway to manifestation. 
I can't believe this happened. I don't know, Pastor. It just happened. What just happened? I slept with that woman. I should not slept with that woman. I'm not married to that woman. I'm married to another woman. I shouldn't have done that. And I don't know what happened. I think the devil just got, no. I, I don't even feel sorry for the devil. I really don't. But he ain't to blame there. I don't. I know what happened. At some point, your thought life got a hold of you, went wild. You started thinking those thoughts, meditating those thoughts, and what happened? An opportunity came to you. Like the air got sucked out of the room. Don't look directly in my eyes, preacher. <laughs> Romans chapter four seventeen, as is written. I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Call that marriage good. Call those finances sufficient. Call that job blessed. Call those children saved. Call your mother-in-law a sweetie. Call your business favored. You got to open your mouth and call into existence the very thing you can imagine or think, and then watch God blow your mind with what He can do. Y'all didn't hear me. Ephesians says, Now unto Him who is able to do. Our God, number one, is always able, and our God is a doing God. Y'all didn't hear me. Able to do what? Exceedingly. That means to go beyond your supposed limitations. There are no limits with God. When you ask God to do something, he's able, he will do it, and he'll go beyond your limitation. Abundantly, which means above and beyond. This is what our God does. Above all that you can ask or imagine. According to the power of that works in us. Where's change going to start? Change is going to st start with your faith and what you believe and what you meditate on and what you speak. And when you get those things in alignment, nothing will stop this God who will always be able to help you even when you can't find, you think there's no way out or no way in. God always makes the way. Somebody shout yes. Let me make this statement. <clears throat> I'll put this in here at the end. You are not supposed to be broke the rest of your life. Did y'all hear me? Did y'all online hear me? Not a lot of preachers say that to you, but I'm going to tell you, that is not the will of God because if you're broke, you can't take care of your family. If you're broke, you can't have a future. If you're broke, you can't finance the kingdom of God. You see, there's, we, there's too much riding on this thing. But if the enemy will always have an image of you as a broke person, never enough. Well, I can't do that. I really can't afford that. Somebody was teaching years ago, and I thought it was kind of a little bit like out there. But the older I get, the more I understand it. They said, you should never say, I can't afford that. You might be able to say, not right now. I'm not, I'm not going to do that right now. But you, you, what happens, you're training yourself as you hear yourself to think you never have quite enough to do what you really want to do. Let me make that statement again. You were not supposed to be broke. Here's the problem. At some point, if you say things like that, you've lost the war. The war that began in here. And a stronghold of poverty, not enough, just enough, just get by, squeak by, 
was built in your life. I declare that the stronghold of not enough in your life be broken today in the name of Jesus Christ and that God's people will begin to say, my God is more than enough. Church, God is bigger and far more capable than just meeting your needs. Proverbs 13, 22 blows my mind. And I'm, I want this to live up. I'm trying to live up to this in, in my life. But this is how far God stretches it. He says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the just, or for the righteous. In other words, what God is saying, you shouldn't just plan for you. Plan to have enough for your kids. And plan to have enough for your grandchildren. You see, God's saying, you can think bigger than you're thinking. You say, well, I don't have that right now. You just condemn me. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has a bigger plan than just you. And you need to come in agreement with that. Deuteronomy 8.18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth. If getting wealth was wrong, he wouldn't give you the power to get it. But there's a purpose behind it. What's the purpose? That he, God, may establish his covenant, which he swore to his fathers as it is this day. God says, I want to give you wealth, but I'm going to need you to give a tithe and an offering. That's the scripture, what the scripture says. The Jewish people, they understood this. In other words, I will give you the power to get it, but don't forget my covenant. Because I want my covenant to be established. Again, it's not just about you. It's about the next generation and the generations to follow that. Amen. Get ready for this. God never created wealth to answer needs alone. He created wealth for two reasons. Number one, the, this might blow you away, but I'm going to say it. The number one reason was he created it for pleasure. But when the earth and the curse came, there was another reason for it. So he created for what? Covenant purposes. But he always created for pleasure. In other words, do you think God has an exchange system of money in heaven? None. Zero. There's more than enough. There's ample supply for everybody. Everybody's at the same level. And when God thinks of wealth like gold, he walks on it. He don't spend it. He walks on it. It pleasures him to have streets of gold within his kingdom. He don't just build gates of iron and wood and stone. He, he does what? Pearls is what he makes his gates out of. You see what I'm saying? He sits on sapphires and diamonds. This is how God lives. So you don't have a broke daddy who don't understand what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. He wants you to believe him. This God is opulent. This God has, he says, I'm a God of more than enough. He didn't mean for himself. He meant for you. Why are you preaching that? Because I'm going to preach to myself. i got to get back to that in my life. We all got to get back to that in our lives. This God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He said the gold is mine and the silver is mine. He said, ask of me, command me, is what he says, and I will give it to you. This is how God treats his people. Not hard, live a bad life and no money and not enough. That's never God. I'm close with this. Uh, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to your bank account? Answer me. No, according to his riches. How rich is he? 
He's really rich in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen.